Let's get into the Word, which is why they listen, because of the Word of God. People want the Word of God. Amen? All right, y'all stand with me. We're going to read just one verse, then you can be seated the rest of the evening. And tonight we're going to be looking at Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah our righteousness. Amen? Now let's read together. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Open your word to us, feed our souls, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, Sidkenu. Sidkenu. It is T S I D. K-E-N-U, and that's the closest you can get to, to a transliteration, Jehovah Sidkenu. All right, we're going through the names of God, and tonight is the 10th one. Can you believe that? We've been doing this 10 weeks now. This is the 10th one. And we've seen in our exploration of the names of God that every one of them tells us something profoundly meaningful to our walk with God. To know and understand His names is to know God better. And I was reading something from Charles Spurgeon just a couple of weeks ago, and I ran across this, and it just really hit me between the eyes, because this is what we've been talking about. But the great preacher from uh, 1800s London, Charles Spurgeon, wrote these words, The more you know about the Lord, and the better you know His name, the more intelligently you will call upon that name. Amen. And I totally concur with that because, you see, Jesus said you'll know truth. You will know, gnosko, truth. And what you know of truth is what sets you free. So the more we know about God, the freer it sets us. We need truth. Amen? And so uh, I appreciated that quote from Pastor Spurgeon. We pointed out that the revealed names of God follow a purpose and a progression, an ongoing unfolding, and were designed to meet the developing spiritual life and need of the people. They unfolded one by one over centuries of time. We've also seen that one name leads to the next. Remember that? For instance, in order to experience the reality of Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies us or who sets us apart from the sins of the world, we must first encounter Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides for redemption. If you haven't been redeemed, you can forget sanctification. It's meaningless. It's not going to happen. You've got to get redeemed, and then you experience the sanctification of God. And so, it is no wonder that God first revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh and later on, centuries later, Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. Because this was in keeping with the spiritual growth and understanding and revelation of Israel. And it's the same with us. You've got to know him as Redeemer before you can know him as the Sanctifier. How many of you can say, this week I have experienced the Holy Spirit sanctifying me? setting me apart, dealing with me to remove myself from something in this world so that I can be a vessel fit for his use and so that I can avoid corruption. Amen? That's, that's the sanctifier. Now, 
so far we've looked at nine of the names of God revealed in Scripture. Let's read them together, can we? Elohim, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies, and Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Amen. Now, tonight, we're going to look at Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, and it's a powerful name. I know I told you Sunday, Rohi, the Lord is our shepherd. I messed up. This is the normal progression right here. This is the, this is the order in which they were revealed. So I want to take them in order. So next week is Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not. Oh, it's communion. Well, that's right. It's the communion service. You see why God gave me? Because I don't remember things like that. But she remembers all this stuff. And uh, Jeff, edit this out of the tape. There we go. Now, <laughs> when Jeremiah the prophet uttered this prophecy about Jehovah Sidkenu becoming the Lord their righteousness, Judah was hastening to its fall. Jeremiah's ministry had begun under the good king, Josiah. But a succession of good kings and bad kings, reformations and counter-reformations, had succeeded each other, one after the other. Walking with God, not walking with God. Doing well, not doing well. Good king, bad king. Jehovah had been faithful to raise up good kings in an attempt to undo what the wicked kings had wrought, but to no avail. The downward trend of Judah continued, and they headed for disaster. Remember me sharing with you last time about those little uh, the CTD? What a doctor will write when he has left the bedside of a terminal patient. He'll, he'll go off and, and write on his little clipboard, CTD, circling the drain. Circling the drain. It's just a picture. And you know what we mean when we say circling the drain. Until finally you're gone. A person can be CTD, spiritually, and a nation can be CTD. Judah was CTD here. And if you were to ask me my humble opinion about our country, I would tell you CTD. Barring a move of God, America is circling the drain. They say, well, pastor, tell me some good news. I wish I could tell you, I wish I could say, no, I don't think that's where we are, but I do think it's where we are, barring a, a revival a move of God. Now, can that happen? Yes, it can. But where we're headed right now, I got to tell you, when I was studying this, Judah reminded me of America. Now, the good King Josiah had introduced powerful sweeping reforms that resulted in national spiritual revival. Great King Josiah. But due to his untimely early death, his successors swept all of his reforms away. Everything he'd worked for, it looked like it was lost. Even the priests, as well as the princes and the people, were polluting the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, practicing all of the abominations of the heathen round about. They were a backslidden nation. And every time God raised up a good king, as soon as he was dead, they forgot about him and went CTD again. Now, Judah 
at the time that this prophecy about Jehovah Sidkenu was uttered by Jeremiah, Judah was filled with violence, oppression, political intrigue, and unrest. And during this dark hour in Judah's history, adding insult to injury, Jehovah's warnings went totally unheeded. His prophets were mocked and despised and misused. Quote, now I'm quoting from 2 Chronicles, quote, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. They had reached the place of no return. There was no remedy. Now, this is one of the reasons I teach the Bible, the whole Bible. And I want you to get this because it's almost like the message has gone out over the church that all we should ever do is say things and minister things that make people feel good. But you know what makes me feel really good? When I know I've heard truth. Deep, deep down, it makes me feel good, peaceful, sound, whole. There comes a point where you've got to tell the truth about things, and the Bible is a very truthful book. God didn't give it to us for us to pick it apart. He gave it to us for it to pick us apart. Amen? And so this is why I teach, take you through whole books or through long series, because I want you to get the whole counsel of God. I just don't think it's being done much in our day. Now, notice that the wrath of the Lord was released against his people, and it was a no-turning-back place. It was CTD. It was, there's no remedy. Even at the time of Josiah's death, it was already too late. Because the Bible says, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh, and Manasseh was Josiah's wicked, evil predecessor, because of all of the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him with. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight. Whoa, I want to be in his sight. Amen? But he says, I'm going to remove Judah out of my sight as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. What did that verse tell us? Judah's day of grace had expired. Now again, I don't want to be a downer. I don't want to be a bummer. I don't want to be all, but I want to tell you, God will reach a place with people. He'll reach a place with a nation where he says, that's it. My grace has expired. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to my word. You're mocking me. You're ridiculing me. Everybody I send to you, 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 you spit on them and you mock them and you abuse them. You know, last night I was flipping across the channels, and I forget which governor it was, where, where the terrible uh, um, uh, drought is. And he, Georgia, and he had actually stood up and on television humbled himself and prayed for God to send rain, his wife weeping next to him. It's that bad. And so what do we have on CNN last night? we have an atheist who is calling him an idiot. I'm using her word, an idiot, and medieval for calling on the name of some mythical god. 
And she said he ought to be removed from office. And this woman saying these things on national television. And see, when I hear something like that, I don't just hear it with these ears. I hear it with these ears, my spiritual ears, these ears, my gut. The Holy Spirit within me listens as well. And I thought, this is what it's come to in America, that when a man in public office calls out on the name of God for rain, he's mocked and ridiculed and, and, and despised on national television. And nobody stopped her. Well, all I can tell you is that's not my problem ultimately. As we're going to see tonight, God is fully able to handle nations. God can bat his eye and bring a nation down. God can bat his eye and raise up a nation. God can bat his eye and drench a place with rain. And God can bat his eye and hold rain back for as long as he wants to. And so here's the word of God. Jeremiah the prophet advised submission to Babylon. And he's advising this because the people are about to be carried off there. So he says, as long as you're going into captivity for your sin, you might as well submit to them. Don't fight them. They'll crush you. Because Babylon was Jehovah's instrument of judgment against Judah. And this is another thing that troubles me a little bit. That when God wanted to chasten his people or a nation, he allowed a foreign power to come in and subdue them. And I think the church of God all over America had better be crying out to God about the elections coming up in 08. Because when I see here, as I read this, wicked king, good king, wicked ruler, good ruler, and I see the blessing that came on a land if there was a righteous ruler and the curse that came on it if there was a wicked one, I'm going to tell you, we better vote. and vote in the godliest person we can. may not be your ideal, but hey, it's going to be a choice, a lesser of two evils, and you're going to have to make a decision. Whichever one is the closest to the Scriptures, closest to godly, I'm going to vote for them. I'm not going to get everything I want, but I don't want to get utterly cursed either. Okay, yet, yet, Dark as it was for Judah, and this is what I love about the word, there's always hope in God. Yet dark as it was for Judah, Jeremiah also predicted that all was not lost. Jehovah was going to raise up a righteous branch, a king who would reign and prosper and do judgment and justice in the earth and bring peace and security to Israel and who would be called, what everybody, Jehovah our righteousness. In the midst of this backsliding and darkness and despair and bondage and being carried off into captivity, God said, I'm going to send a righteous branch and I'm going to be your righteousness. And even though you have made all these mistakes and all these errors and you are where you are today, I'm still going to be good to you to keep my word. Thank God that there's always hope in God. Can you say that with me? There's always hope in God. Come on, church, preach it again. There's always hope in God. It's easy to see why Israel came into judgment. God had said of them, they have turned to me their backs and not their faces. They had despised his provision of redemption as Jehovah Jireh. Watch this. Here comes these names now. 
in the order they were given. His people had despised his provision of redemption as Jehovah Jireh. Consequently, he could not be to them Jehovah Rophi who heals. They were a people, as Isaiah says, without soundness from the sole of the foot to the crown of the head, full of open wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. Without Jehovah Nissi as their banner, they were defeated at every turn. Refusing to sanctify themselves to Jehovah Makedesh, their sanctifier, they became corrupt and degenerate. Ezekiel the prophet even saw their elders in the temple of God worshiping creeping things and abominable beasts. That means bugs, worshiping bugs, and abominable beasts. I don't know what that was, but it doesn't sound any good to me. Can you imagine having known the true God and being reduced to worshiping bugs? In our house, all we do is we throw them outside or step on them. Can you imagine bowing down? But see how foolish and darkened your heart can become when you reject the true and the living God and incrementally over time you can be reduced to a place that you would never have believed at the beginning of your walk away from Him? But that's what happened to him. It was likely in the reign of Zedekiah that the prophecy of Jehovah Sidkenu was given when they were in this abysmal condition. What a contrast this was. Everything that Judah's kings should have been as representatives of Jehovah, this righteous branch, a prediction of none other than Jesus Christ himself, would be. And in him, Judah would be once more redeemed, healed, cleansed, victorious, at peace, and made righteous in God himself. Now, what is in a name? Let's look at the name Sidkenu, and let's see what's in the, what's in the name. The word Sidkenu is derived from Tzedek, Tzedek, and it means righteousness. It originally meant to be straight or stiff or straight, like walking the straight line. That's what the word means. Now, there's likely no more significant word in the Old Testament than, than Tzedek righteous, straight. No English word can even adequately express it. It signifies God's dealings with men under the idea of righteousness, justification, and acquittal. Now let me just do a little word work with you here tonight. Y'all want to learn tonight? All right, let me just show you some things about this because this is where the word comes from, sedek. It comes from that. So let's see what in the world it means and how it was applied in the Bible. How did the Holy Ghost use it? Well, first it is used to apply to the outward obligations and relationships between people. In Leviticus, we read these words. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in weight or measure. You shall not cheat people. That's what it's saying. Don't cheat people. Don't sell them short. Don't lie to them. Don't manipulate them. Don't cheat them. Just balances and just weights you shall have. In other words, Sedek meant to be honest, righteous, and fair in dealing with each other. So, first of all, this word, righteousness, Sedek, 
has to do with this way, horizontal, how we deal with one another. Now let me ask you a million dollar question tonight. As Christians, does it affect our vertical walk with God if we handle people wrongly or rightly? Don't you wish sometimes that weren't true? I mean, don't you wish sometimes you could just take a little bit of your own vengeance and just go whoop them Texas style and then repent? But you know what? You can't. You know why? Because the way we handle people horizontally will affect our vertical relationship with God every single time. How can you say you love me, the Bible says, when you don't love one another? If you can't love those you can see, how can you say you love those you cannot see? And I, I don't like that verse. i got to tell you right now up front, I don't like it. Because I like to think I can love God with all of my heart. And it doesn't matter what I feel towards people, but it does. And this is one reason Christianity is superior, massively superior to any other world religion. Because it makes us treat people in love. And that can't do anything but help things on this planet. Amen? So the Romans' justice system was represented. You, you've all seen this, and you've got a visual already in your head when I go over this. But we've all seen a person with a pair of balanced scales in her hand, a pair of scales in her hand, and that's the symbol for justice. It was the Roman symbol for justice. This is why Job pleaded, let me be weighed in an even balance or balance of righteousness. The psalmist pictures all men, everybody, Donald Trump down to a street person, all men, high and low, as going upward in the scales when laid on the balances against God's righteous requirements. When you're put on the scales and you're on one scale over here on my left and on my right is God's righteous judgment, that righteous judgment and that standard of righteousness is way heavier than you and me. And we go up while it goes down. There's no way we can strike an even balance in our own effort. You understand that? And so that's what he's saying here. The word sedek means you better treat each other right. You got to treat each other right. It matters. Now the, the word sedek is also used of a full weight or measure toward God in the spiritual sense. Israel was commanded to walk in the paths of righteousness and to offer the sacrifices of righteousness, putting their trust in the Lord. And what were the sacrifices of righteousness? They were a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Now wh why would God want you and me to have a broken spirit and a contrite heart in His presence? It's very simple. I'm going to tell you why because we fail to measure up to his standard of righteousness. If you realize what God wants out of you and me, once you realize that, it brings you to your knees. Just like that guy said to me today on the phone. He said, man, I listened to that tape, and it put me on my knees, and I repented before God. Because when we approach a holy God, we are immediately on our knees. That's why you can't walk in pride. You can't walk in arrogance. It's crazy to do it. It's a, it's a state of insanity to be proud because held up against God's righteous standards, 
we're all brought to our knees. And we all have to say, God, help me. I can't live up. There's no way. And the closer you get to him, to him, the more you're on your knees saying, God, forgive me. God, help me. I can't do it. So the Bible tells us that Sadek has also to do with staying humble before our God because we can't walk that straight line. Now, Sadek third also means it's used in the sense of rendering justice and making right. The judges and the officers of Israel were to judge the people with righteous judgment. They were especially warned by Isaiah against perverting righteous judgment. Israel had been guilty of justifying or making righteous the wicked for a bribe. And Isaiah cried out against it and said, you ought to be dispensing righteous judgment. And this is what we wish was in our court system. Righteous judgment or justice. How many of you have ever in your life not received the justice you felt you deserved and it hurt? Let me see. This world was not a just world. Amen? And how many of you said, Lord, I wish you'd take care of it and bring justice for me? Because the courts aren't going to do it and people aren't going to do it. You're going to have to do it. Because there is something inside of us that knows there ought to be justice for a wrong committed. And that comes from God placing His commandments in our heart. We know intuitively, the lost know intuitively, there ought to be justice for a wrong committed. And that comes from God. Israel had been guilty of justifying or making righteous the wicked for a bribe, taking bribes. And Isaiah pictures Jehovah as looking for righteousness in judgment, but only finding the cry of the oppressed. And if you've got the ability, if it's in the, your power to administer justice in a situation, you ought to do it. If you're in a legal position, and maybe you're not in here, somebody listening by radio, and you take a bribe and you don't bring justice, the Bible says that God sees that, and God's going to answer that somehow, some way, someday. God's going to answer that. Sedek is used hundreds of times in the scriptures, both as right, righteous, righteousness, and also as just, justify, and to declare innocent. Now, seeing that there is this huge standard of righteousness with God, and we can't reach it, where do we get it? Where do you get righteousness? Can everybody say with me, Jehovah? The only place you're going to get the righteousness that God requires is from God himself. As with all, with all the other names we've explored, Jehovah is himself. Perfect righteousness. He's perfect sanctification. He's perfect healing. He's perfect redemption. He's perfect love. He is perfect righteousness. Or he is the perfectly righteous one. Jehovah is a tzaddik, a righteous one says the psalmist. As a righteous God, there is nobody to compare to him, said Isaiah. He's the rock whose work is perfect, all of whose ways are justice. Sadiq, righteous and right, is he. 
His righteousness, the Bible says, is an everlasting righteousness. And His testimonies are righteous forever. And church, we got to understand, it so helps to understand God when you understand His perfect righteousness. Why Jesus had to go to the cross. Why it was necessary for His Son to die on the cross in shame and torture and pain. Why? Why that perfect substitute? Hear me on this one. Because the perfect righteousness of God which demands justice had to be satisfied. So he took it out on his son on the cross. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Therefore, in all his dealings, he is righteous. Can you say with me, he is righteous. He's perfect righteousness. So people who come along and say, ah, there's never going to be a judgment. There's never going to be a last day. There's not going to be a great white throne judgment. God's not going to wrap the world up. Yes, he is. And you know why? He's got to bring justice. You know why? Because his perfect righteousness has been sinned against repeatedly, hugely, endlessly by mankind. So unless you're covered in the blood, he's got to exact justice. You know what getting covered in the blood did for you and me? God said, I'm satisfied. I don't need justice where you're concerned because I got it from the blood. But if that blood's not on you, if you're not covered in the blood, if you haven't put your faith in Christ and you're covered in the blood of the Lamb, God is going to exact justice over your life. You have not lived up to His Word. You've not lived up to His commandments. Neither did I. And if that is not covered, then His justice has not been satisfied. So He will call the whole world to Himself on that great day and He will exact justice. And if you don't understand his righteousness, you don't accept that doctrine. But if you understand his righteousness, it makes perfect sense. Okay? In contrast to God's perfect righteousness, man is evil in his ways. The psalmist represents Jehovah as looking in vain from heaven upon the children of men to see if there be any that understand and do good. And you know what he found? You know the verse. There is none not one. There is none that does good. No, not even one. There is not one who doesn't sin. And Paul concludes, all have sinned and come sure of the glory of God. Jeremiah observed, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's exceedingly corrupt. Who can know it? I mean, I think about that verse all the time. I don't know about you guys. I watch court TV a lot. You know why I watch court TV? Because I see, I see the justice of God being brought about in the earth every time I watch one of those stories. Because you can have somebody kill somebody, and they might go years, years without being found out. But God will lay it on the heart of some detective or some policeman who can't... I've heard him say, I'm obsessed with this, and I don't know why. I'm obsessed with this case, and I don't know why. But I will never rest until I find who did this. And invariably, they find them. Years later, they find them. You know why? Because God's a God of justice. And He's always moving in the world. 
And you see what Jeremiah said about the heart when you watch those shows. You know, housewives, husbands, who sit there and say to one another at one time in their life, I do. And she says, I do too. And 10 years later, they're killing each other. Something bad happened between I do and see you later. What happened? The deceitful heart. The fallen man. Something is wrong. And it's sin. And we've all got it. And we've all got to be forgiven for it. Amen. Job wondered, how then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? The question then screams, how can man be acquitted of his unrighteousness and become righteous before God? How can we do it? Well, here's the reason we have a church, and this is what we're going to be preaching every time we get the chance. Isaiah spoke of a servant who should be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Upon him, Jehovah would lay the iniquity of us all and would make his soul an offering for sin. This servant is called in the Bible, my righteous servant, who should justify many by bearing their iniquities. But to the Old Testament people, here's what they were asking. Who could this be? Surely, they thought, no mere man, for there is no man who is righteous enough. But God, through his prophets, revealed that the servant of Isaiah 53 is also that servant of Isaiah 49, verse 7, who was called the Holy One. And he's also identified by Zechariah as the servant who is the branch. And that branch is the righteous branch of David. And the king of Jeremiah 23, verse 5, that we started with tonight, who is also Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah our righteousness. They're all one and the same. Heretofore, Israel had understood that it was by the shed blood of, of an innocent party that sin was forgiven. This is all they understood about it. The only way my sin is going to be forgiven is by an innocent party shedding blood. Okay? Way back in the Garden of Eden, this crucial lesson was first taught when God covered their nakedness, representative of their sin, by the skin of a slain animal. Blood had been shed for their transgression way back in Eden. God immediately began to show them what it was going to take. It's going to take the shedding of the blood of an innocent party. And that's the only way your sin is going to be forgiven. So what did God teach the first family? He taught them that it's going to be by blood that you're redeemed, by blood that you're forgiven, by blood that our relationship is restored. And that's it. And notice, God's the one that gave them the blood. They didn't kill the animal, God did. This same lesson was continued throughout Israel's history in the form of the sin offering, where a spotless young lamb was slain for their forgiveness every time. But with the introduction of the name Jehovah Sidkenu, a major addition was made to this understanding. Israel was now beginning to grasp that punishment for sin does not of itself cleanse a sinner, but that the righteousness, read this with me, can you? The righteousness of the innocent sufferer must also be reckoned to the sinner if he's to stand before Jehovah acquitted not only of penalty but of guilt. 
Jehovah Sidkenu gave them another dimension to this understanding. And here's what it was. It's not just an innocent party dying for your sin and covering you with the blood. But it's going to have to be one whose righteousness is imputed to you so that you can receive the righteousness of God. That is powerful. So guess who our Jehovah Sid canoe is? Can you say it with me? Jesus. Say it again, church. Gee, he's your Jehovah Sid canoe, and he's mine. The manifestation and the provision of that righteousness of Jehovah which alone can make men acceptable to God, was fully realized in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Jehovah Sidkenu. You know, when I was getting ready for this, um, you know, we're in a world right now where so many religions are clashing, from atheism to Islam to Buddhism, uh, all kinds of different belief systems clashing with what we believe. But i got to tell you, I'm 54. I started walking with God when I was 18. And I'm more convinced today that Jesus was the Messiah of the world and that only through him are we forgiven and only by his blood are we redeemed. And there is none other, not Buddha, not Zoroaster, not Muhammad, none. He is the redemption of the world, and it's only in Him, and by Him and through Him, you will be saved. And I'm more sure of it now than ever. And I'm very thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit residing in me. I'm so thankful He knocked on the door of my heart and made his way into my life and cornered me and brought me to a place where I looked up. I'm so thankful that he's brought me this far and I know he's going to see me all the way to heaven. I'm so thankful that I'm his construction project and he who has begun a good work in me will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and there is none other, not any. in his person and his character and his work as the suffering righteous servant of Jehovah he was worthy he was worthy he was worthy to be substituted for Israel and for us he is himself the righteous one in his red-hot sermon at Pentecost Peter accuses his hearers of denying the Holy One and the just or the righteous one the Sid canoe. He has made righteousness to us. Can you read this verse with me? Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. Can you say with me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ? You are. You know, we're all the time convicted about sin. How about being convicted of our righteousness before God? Isn't that a novel thought? He did this by paying the penalty for sin in his death on the cross. Read this one with me, would you? For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And then finally, his righteousness is granted to us as a free gift only through faith. Israel's great error had been in seeking to establish a righteousness of its own and in not submitting itself to the righteousness of God. You know, there's no way to get there, no way to experience the righteousness of God, but by faith. And that's our message. And it's so difficult for man to come to grips with the fact that there's not a thing you can do to get yourself saved. Not a thing. Because we like thinking we can fix things. I can fix a tire. I can fix a leaky sink. I can fix a disposal. I did it just recently, and Kathy about fainted. So I didn't know you could do that. I'm just telling you the truth. I fix things. She says, I didn't know. See, people think if you're a preacher, you can't do anything else. You're just sort of all thumbs if you're a preacher. But, but um, we think that we can fix things. And the fallen human nature doesn't like to believe that there's not a thing you can do. Nothing. If left to a million years, you could not ever measure up to that scale you would always be lacking in the balances. You would never be able to get yourself right with God. So we have to come to the place, and this, I think this is why Christianity is not accepted by so many people who are out there very, very successful, making a lot of money, uh, have all kinds of things going for them in the natural. It's very hard for them to come to grips to, with the fact that you need to be saved. And there's not a thing you can do to get yourself saved except to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, God takes Jesus' righteousness and places it on you. That's why I have trouble with you can lose your salvation. Love me anyway. Love me anyway. Because if I got saved by grace, how do I lose it by works? That's free chew on that, love me anyway, I'm not going to go any further with it. Because I can feel some of you out there, oh, 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 I liked him until then. Oh, I know you can lose it. Well, if you want to believe, I just tossing a little seed your way. If I was saved by grace, how do I lose it by works? And if it's that easy to lose, if I'm the devil, I'm not bothered by salvation because I know I'm just going to come and get you, make you mess up, and take it away from you. And then those of you that think you can lose it, I want you to come up to me afterwards and tell me, what would I have to do tonight to go lose it? Well, I just, I just know that there's a place where you're gone. Where is it? I believe in sustaining grace, and I'm going to move on because I don't feel much grace right now. <laughs> all right, this is why Paul wrote that all of his hopes were in being found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, he said, but that which is of the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And then finally, the practical effect of the bestowal of the gift of righteousness is to set our feet on the path of righteousness in conformity to his will. When God declares you righteous, then he calls you to live a righteous life. He calls you to walk clean in him. Amen? We're to put on the new man, which is created in righteousness. All right, let's stand together, can we? Can you say with me, he's my righteousness. He is my righteousness. 
Jehovah Sidkenu, what a wonderful name. It reveals to us the method and the measure of our acceptance before God, cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, clothed with the right robe of the righteousness of Him who is Jehovah, our righteousness, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for making us righteous? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood that makes us righteous. We thank you, Lord, that not only did you forgive us, but you placed your righteousness on us, and you literally became our righteousness. Jesus Sidkenu, our righteousness. And Lord, we receive that righteousness, and we thank you for it. In your mighty name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Amen. Let's sing, Steve. Praise God. He is all my righteousness.